Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory, episode 15. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I am so excited to welcome my guests, and I know that I know that I know that you will be blessed by listening to this show today. They are Craig and Maydeen Keener, and they have written a book called Impossible Love, The True Story of an African Civil War, Miracles, and Hope Against All Odds. And I can tell you that one of my favorite things in the world is reading these kinds of stories. And so when um, I was connected with Dr. Craig, actually Dr. Keener, his last name's Keener, when I first encountered him, one of the things I knew about him was that my daughter Sophie was a huge fan. He is a theological professor and writes some amazing theological books. So it was like her favorite person. In fact, he graciously autographed a theological book for her and uh, she was thrilled. So anyway, so he's like a celebrity, a theological celebrity in our house. But when I was contacted by him for the possibility of reading this book for endorsement, I was really intrigued. And let me tell you, it is one of my most favorite books I've read in the past year, probably my most favorite book. I don't even want to give anything away, and I say that every time that we do a Restory show, but you be prepared to be completely astounded and to fall in love with Jesus all over again. So here we go. Hey everybody, I am so excited today on the Restory Show to have Craig and Maiden Keener here. I can see uh, in the office that they have like 70,000 books behind them. So <laughs> I think that's an indication of some of the things that Craig does. So anyway, I'm just really excited to have them both here today. They've got an amazing story. I had the opportunity to review their book, Impossible Love. And the subtitle is The True Story of an African Civil War, Miracles and Hope Against All Odds. And that is a very accurate description of the book. It's an amazing story and there's lots of hope. And although there were times when I was turning the page, I was like, oh, it's not going to be okay. And then I would, <laughs> I would check um, your website and be like, okay, it's going to be okay. So anyway, so why don't we start with you, Craig? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and um, we'll jump over to Maydeen in a sec. Sure. I'm a professor of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary, and I write lots of books. I, I love to do research and um, study ancient sources and find out more about, you know, when the New Testament writers were, uh, or, or biblical writers were writing what they were writing, what kinds of issues they were addressing, what were the what were the kinds of things going on back then in Greek and Jewish and Roman culture and so on. And I, I mentioned this in the introduction before we started this, and that was that my daughter thinks you're a rock star. So um, <laughs> she wishes she was here to interview you as well. Thanks. And Maiden, what do you do? Well, I work at the seminary as well. I work part-time. 
in the Office of Community Formation. I mainly help with international families. Um, I help with the welcome of student families. I help lead uh, a women's group that we call Women's Communion. So I really enjoy that. I do a lot of visiting and listening, praying with the, the families, with whatever's going on. And I also teach a French class, which is fun. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned to Craig earlier that if I wanted you to feel better at ease, I could speak French, but then I would be ill at ease. So (laughs) my French is not awesome. But I I appreciate what you said about welcoming international students because my husband and I were church planters in France in Nice. And we learned by being there what it was like to just be a foreigner and how like it's just like totally messes with you and you're so scared all the time and you always make like 10,000 mistakes. It does, yeah. Yeah. The transition is so hard. I mean, people come here. A lot of these women have like masters and they are educated. They learn English, like they know how to write it, but to be able to communicate, understand the culture and so on is very hard. So we just try to help them feel welcome, be at ease. I have a group of American women. It's a mix of spouses, students, and uh, just some people in the community who will come and help. And it's just sharing life together. So it's fun. I love that. And I just, I love that you're like an ambassador. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I like that. <laughs> you, should, that you should add that to your title. I'm an, the yeah. ambassador at, at the seminary. All right. So I'm going to jump backwards many years and jump back to the beginning, not the very beginning of Craig's life, because then we'd have this a really long interview. But before you met Maydeen, you went through some pretty tumultuous times. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your life was like PM prior to Maydeen? Well, uh, it depends on which phase, but I mean, actually, as a young Christian, I, I was converted off the street. I was converted from atheism, and so I wanted I wanted other people to hear the good news too on the street. And eh, sometimes I got beaten for my faith, and I, I actually didn't expect to be alive past the age of twenty. Really, I figured I'd get you know killed for sharing the faith. But anyway, but the the hardest thing that I actually went through. Was uh, I'd been a believer for a number of years. I went to a Bible college, and uh, actually I, I married a woman uh, there, a fellow student who seemed fired up for the Lord. But after a couple of years of marriage, she began having an affair with her friend's husband. That may, that may not be the best way to put it. He came after her, but in any case, I fought the divorce for a couple of years trying to get her back. But eventually, she was able to get the divorce on the grounds of two years physical separation. And then um, he and his wife had already divorced at that point. So the two of them got married and I was just devastated. It was, it was 15 years before I was ready to marry again. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember reading that in your story and just being heartbroken for you because it's, it, it is actually a, a sadly common thing that happens to people in marriage. And I wish that that weren't true, but that does not mean that it's not extremely painful. And knowing how much you fought for that marriage is so, such a beautiful testimony of Jesus inside of you who just is that, you know, he's the God of reconciliation. So I know that that was always in the back of your mind. And I, I sensed in your book, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you had kind of this heaviness over you or this kind of mantle of sadness or defeat because of that. And how did you work through some of those issues? 
Well, th there had been a play that I'd actually been doing for a number of years based in the book of Hosea. And when I was going through this, you know, I'd always felt God's heart in the book of Hosea. But when I was going through this, I felt God's heart deeply in the same way. I never expected to actually go through it myself. Hmm. You know, I thought, wow, you know, I got a godly wife <laughs> hmm. and so on. But I remember one night I was out, I couldn't sleep. This was toward the beginning of, you know, I, I knew about the affair. She hadn't moved out yet, but I, I was out for a walk. It was maybe one in the morning and I felt really numb inside. But then I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said that she didn't do anything to you and Gomer didn't do anything to Hosea that all my people haven't done to me mm. because day and night I call to my people in my love and day and night my people are more consumed with all the other things they love more than they love me. And it gave me a, a wider perspective that my brokenness was just a small sliver of a sample of the deep brokenness of God's heart, the heart of wounded love. Mm. I love the way you put that. And I think one of the things that I've realized looking back over my own story is I have more camaraderie with Jesus when I walk through trials and pain because I, we were like sharing it together. And especially when you're suffering for your faith, like you are being persecuted or hurt for your faith, there's this like fellowship of Jesus's sufferings that you kind of have this relationship together because of the suffering. So you, under, and then like you said, you get this, you grasp this idea that the broken heart of God, like this, this, this jilted lover, so to speak, who always pursues, but we are always like pushing against the other way. And, and then he times it by billions of people. And I think, I don't know how you could have that kind of heart to be broken that many times, but thankfully we've got Jesus in the cross and his outrageous act that he did on the cross. But yeah. yeah. So, um, eventually you, ended up working in a church and you'd always kind of had a passion of, of working interracially. At what point did you meet Maydine and what was that like? Yeah, it was, um, it was an African-American church. Uh, I'd, I'd actually pastored a small congregation before uh, and, and done other kinds of ministry before, but I just really felt glad I was supposed to, to join this church. And it really was a healing experience for me, too. I mean, they knew how to deal with broken people in this African-American church. But it also was an opportunity to work for, for ethnic reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Now, Medine, actually, she was an exchange student. And I met her in, a, in an entirely different venue. She was going to a predominantly white church, actually. I was going to predominantly yeah. black church. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we met through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Mm -hmm. At our, at our school at Duke University. And the, the first time I met her, I, I thought she was really pretty. <laughs> but but I, <laughs> she still is. <laughs> but but I, I didn't want to read too much into anything because I just, you know, I'd been through so much pain and I was still in the midst of that pain. And I actually, somebody had even told me, you know, you're used goods. Nobody's going to really be oh interested in you. So... I, I didn't really have a very high opinion of myself, but I was I was interested in her. And then we, uh, uh, I guess it was the next the next time we met. It was the university. The graduate group had Bible studies. Oh yeah. And it was my turn to lead the Bible study that week. And you know, each of us would lead on something that we were. We had something special in our background that could help us lead. And so I wanted to lead on the subject of 
prayer in tongues because that was a special blessing in my life. And I thought, you know, everybody should hear about this. Oh, uh, that's a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and it didn't go over very well. <laughs> that's right. I remember that part of your story. So, Maydeen, when you met Craig for the first time, what was your first impression of him? When I met Craig, I was very kind of conflicting impression because I felt like this was somebody who really deeply loved the Lord, mm-hmm. but there was a sadness over him that I couldn't understand. So I had those two things together. So you yeah. had, you definitely had the gift of discernment there. You could see right through him in that sense. Yeah, I could feel that sadness. Yeah. Even though I said, well, this, this guy is a handsome fellow. He, he it looks like he likes the Lord, but what's up with him? He's, <laughs> he's sad. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> And so how long after that did did you return to your own country? Actually, I returned to France. France, that's right. You went to France first. That's what I thought. Maybe eight months. Yeah. Eight months after that. So it gave us time to actually talk and become friends Mm -hmm. while I was still in the U.S. Yeah, as an exchange student. And then you studied uh, in Paris. Is that right? I I was finishing up with my PhD, yes. I studied and finished up in Paris and then I went back home. Nice. Okay. My husband and I just uh, were in Paris celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. So wow. it's a city near and dear to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so after Paris, you went home. So tell us a little bit about home. Well, home was not the home that I really knew because while I was studying, there was war. So I went back to a home full of fear. People were afraid of each other. There was still the impact of wars, like uh, houses that were broken and just a wall between tribes. When I came home, I brought a letter for someone who was in the opposite tribe that fought against the other tribes where, where I was. And when the person came to get the letter, I mean, he was afraid. He was looking around as if something was going to come and jump at him. I mean, it was just very different from what I have known. And then the shooting at night, I was not used to that. I mean, I wake up and just be afraid and so on. But that was just one aspect. The other aspect of home was just to be reunited with my family and just the fun of going to my church and things like that. So over there too, it was like a mix of things, the joy and the apprehension of what the future will will hold. And also looking for a job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that too, in a war-torn country. So remind the listeners what country that was. Oh, I'm from Congo Brazzaville. The two Congos. Yes. So it's not the Democratic Republic of Congo. No, that's the big one. I'm from a very small country, and it's called Congo Brazzaville, or the Republic of Congo. And so you have a pretty crazy, scary story about trying to kind of escape or get stay alive, basically. So tell us, give us a couple highlights. I don't want to give away the whole book, but tell us a couple of things that you endured while you were there. Okay. That's a big question. I know. During war, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I can talk about being sick. I remember Mm -hmm. we were in that village and in my journal, I called it the nice village, the kind village. People were very kind. They asked us to go to their garden sometimes to get some food and there was a lot of big rivers so it was it was a better place than we have been before but because of running and so on I got sick 
I got sick with malaria and we didn't have access to medication. So there was a sister who she had only one injection of the anti-malaria medicine and she came and gave it to me. I, I was even afraid. I was like, she's probably used it on someone else. If the person had AIDS or whatever, oh. I, I was so desperate. It didn't do much. I was delirious. I was very sick. And then I started to get better. And on Sunday, someone came to church. Well, we will have church. The Christians will come and people who are sleeping in the church will remove their mats and everything so that people will have church. So we had church and I was sitting outside just basking in the sun, trying to get my strength back. And at the end, this man came and said to my dad, he said, Papa Jacques, I was, you know, we, we, we ran away. We were in this really, uh, in almost like in the forest and I was sleeping. I heard a voice call to me and say, wake up and pray for Medine. Hmm. Dean is Musunga Jacques' daughter and she's very sick. So we have been praying for your daughter. So I was very, very grateful to see the Lord really, you know, go and wake someone else, someone I didn't even know to pray for me. And I knew that, I mean, one injection wouldn't have done anything. I'm glad you're, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know lots of people that have lived over there have malaria several times, but it's not the best thing to get. It can be very dangerous and deadly. Yeah, it can. It can be. Hey, for the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. So today I'm going to suggest that you try Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust by Immaculate Libagiza, L-L-I-B-A-G-I-Z-A. And I read this book several years ago. I think it would be really astounding to listen to it. Very exciting book and shows God's redemptive hand in a really scary situation. You can download this book, which is a really great book. And hopefully the, the Keener's book will be in audio as well soon. But you can download this or any other book that you wanted to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your free audiobook. And just a quick thing about Audible, and this is something that will just help me to pay for this podcast. It costs money to produce, and the way I do that is through these little advertisements. So if you want to just give it a try, that would be a real blessing to the Restory Show. So during this time, while you're, you know, being a nomad and moving from place to place and trying to be safe, Craig, meantime, is in the United States still thinking about you and trying to get a hold of you, but not being very successful. Craig, why don't you talk a little bit about that part of the journey here? Yeah, I had gotten word from Medine about some of the things she'd gone through. She, actually, when she'd had malaria and she'd had to flee from the capital during the war, that was a really hard, hard situation. Uh, and just miraculously, how she was able to get out and miraculously, how her brother was able to get back with a car that wasn't working <laughs> But then I get this letter from her. I'm always happy to get letters from her. I get this letter from her saying, please pray, because right now in my hometown, there are troops that are closing in. We hear that they have orders to kill the educated people first. And my cousin was just shot dead. My father and brother were nearly shot dead. And I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And by the time the letter reached me, it had been brought out of the country by a relative. By the time the letter reached me, her town had already been destroyed. Mm. And I didn't know for the next 18 months whether she was alive or dead. 
And each day I was just praying that God would protect her. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should try to go to Congo, but like you, my French isn't very good. <laughs> Your French is probably better than mine. <laughs> and, you know, as far as Munikutuba, Kitsangi, or Lingala, or any of the other local languages, I didn't know them at all. So I was really panicked for her, but each day just praying desperately for the next 18 months. And you had kind of a DTR, a define the relationship moment in a letter. Is that right? You kind of were trying to figure out who you were as a couple in, was it in France? And then you decided you were going to be friends. Is that, is that, is my memory correct? Correct. Uh, <laughs> you have to answer yes. for that one. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. We had discussed our, the nature of our relationship a few years earlier. We were both shy. And so I'd been interested in her. She'd been interested in me. Neither of us had told the other. <laughs> and so we were just like, you know, being friends. But finally, you know, we discussed it in a letter. But I was like, you know, my calling before God is so, so demanding. I, I wouldn't dare marry somebody who didn't sense the same calling or mm -hmm. she would just not understand my heart. And, you know, I already went through it once where somebody, she found somebody she liked better. So I, I just better wait for somebody who shares my calling. And I asked Medine if she was called to ministry, and she said no. Now, meanwhile, in the letter, she shared that she was doing open-air evangelism. Uh, <clears throat> she, was, she was doing door-to-door -door evangelism. She was counseling people on drugs. She was doing all sorts of... She was on the leadership team of a church that she helped plant. So she was in ministry, but she said she wasn't called to it. Right, and, and, I, and unfortunately, I... I, I noticed the part of the letter that, you know, where what she specifically said she wasn't in ministry. And I didn't notice the part of the letter where she was describing the ministry she was doing. <laughs> because ministry for me meant being a pastor. Right, right. Pastorist or missionary. Yeah, yeah. Not the rest, not the other things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so there was a misunderstanding. This is the best love story ever. That's how they all start, right? <laughs> So when you were writing letters back and forth, if you could, if, if they could get through, you were still like friends and you weren't going to, there was nothing more than that. So how did that shift? And toward the end of your stay in the country, how did you finally get in contact with Craig? When war happened, we went through all the difficulties and so on. I've never forgotten about Craig. Mm. So I came back to the city because before war, I was married, but the man had another wife and was leading a life that was completely different. And um, it was just a difficult story. It, it, it was a bigamous union. Yeah. Right. And you were looking for an annulment, but it was not the easy process that you hoped it would be. <laughs> Yeah, so I came to uh, finalize the divorce papers and uh, go back to the village where I left my family and uh, my son. And then while I was there, I had a dream. I saw Craig in the dream and he was giving me uh, encouragement and things like that. Also, I have asked my brother to try to find the Craig Kino who write books. <laughs> I didn't have any address, nothing. And, <laughs> and I didn't know anything about emails. <laughs> I spent time in the forest. I didn't know that technology was, you know, has gone wild. You know? <laughs> there were emails. <laughs> so my brother was able to connect with a friend who contacted Craig or contacted someone who knew Craig. That's how we got back in touch again. 
through email. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. But there's really more than one Craig Keener who writes books. <laughs> really? I, I've joked with her. She could have married the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the wrong one. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> then how did you communicate with her when you finally, I mean, you must have been relieved. How, how did that go when you were finally communicating with her? And when did you see her again? The last time we'd seen each other in person was 1990. <laughs> and we and so the first time we saw each other in person after that was, was like two uh, 2001 2001 yeah so 11 years later <laughs> so wow. we, we friends for all this time but i couldn't remember exactly what she looked like um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know we had this friendship and one day i was talking with a visitor at this at the seminary when i was opening my mail and i i saw it was from congo and and I, and I and it was the familiar handwriting of Medine, and I just tore it open, and it was I'm alive. I'm Medine <laughs> Sunga. I'm alive, and I was I was thrilled. I was so excited. Uh, I was dancing right there in in front of my really? guest. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I bet you're just such a great dancer too. <laughs> well, uh, we can discuss that. Part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, you know, there's different dances for different yeah. cultures. And, exactly. anyway. It was white dancing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, and I'm creative. I made it my own. So <laughs> in any case, I was thrilled, and I'd been praying for. You know, I've been praying for Medine for a long time. And, and also, I'd always been praying for my future wife. You know, when I would pray about Medine, I hadn't heard a no, which is what I usually heard when I prayed about most people. I just wasn't hearing anything mm. at that point. So I wasn't sure. You know, I had fond feelings, but I was going to obey the Lord comes first. And so once I could know, it was all right. Of course, the cork would come off the bottle. But That's so after war. When the post office started to work again, my dad sent me letters. He was like, oh, all these are letters that I found in the mailbox. They are for you. Mm-hmm. All those letters were from Craig. Wow. And he will say uh, at the end, say, I really love you very much as my sister. And they made me so upset. I was like, <laughs> why does he have to add my sister? Why don't you just pray and say, I love you and stuff you there. So, <laughs> but the, it, it just... I just was thinking, I say something is going on, but, you know, he's not speaking his full mind or something is stopping him from... He still got the cork in the bottle. Yes. (laughs) And so what uncorked you, Craig? When we discussed the topic again, actually, by this point, I was in a condition where I actually had to slow down because I'd been so busy with with my work for the Lord, I, I hadn't really... Anything that was a really big decision, if I didn't have like a direct vision or something like that, which I normally didn't, I would just put it off, you know, saying, okay, well, maybe God will show me in the future. Something like this was just too big of a decision to undergo without some sort of clear guidance from the Lord, I thought, uh, especially after what had been through the first time. So I, and the, not, not just what I'd been through with the abandonment, but also with the parts of the church that you know, rejected my ministry because my wife had left me and so on. So, but I, I ended up in the hospital and then flat on my back for a long time. And while I was in that condition, I wasn't able to run from my heart. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bury myself in my work. I had to deal with what was there. And at that time, Medine and I discussed the issue again. And I said, okay, well, this time, we will pray about it until we both hear the same thing. 
And then I, I started going back through all of our correspondence. I started going back through the things that the Lord had shown me about my future wife. And I started going back through the things that Medine had said about her ministry, and, and including back to that pivotal letter where she was talking about doing open-air evangelism and so on. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I not see this? (laughs) 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 Anyway, so so Medine was very happy to know that I was going to pray about it until we both heard the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was about a day later, she got another email from me. I'd heard the same thing. (laughs) Ah, oh, finally. I know when I got to that place in the book, I was like, okay. <laughs> and both then know. it's going to be fine. But but then there was more. So the love is declared, and then there's a, several steps to get together. Exactly. Yes. And I will, uh, I'm going to let people uh, put, keep him a little bit in suspense about that because I really want every human being to read this book. So I'm not going to ask that part of the story because it's so exciting and it's almost like James Bond. It's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I, what I love, here's what I love about your stories. Both of them, both of you are passionate about Jesus Christ. Both of you are completely in love with him. And God had you on other sides of the world in a free country, in a war-torn country without internet for a while. And, you know, if God can work with, work without internet, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, uh, your story, Maydeen, like you kept like escaping things left and right. And God kept doing miraculous things with visions and, and craziness. And, and he brought you two together in this amazing love story where two can be better than one. And together you're going to have some amazing return for your labor in Christ. And so I guess my question is, how has marriage been a blessing to your relationship with Christ? I don't even know how to put it in words. But I mean, it's, it brings a, a new level of strength just to be able to pray together and bring things to the Lord together. Of course, Craig is a walking dictionary and a walking Bible. When I need it, <laughs> I don't need to go and look for a book. And say, oh, do you know where this verse is? <laughs> you know, I, I just get it. But more than that, it's just like growing together and loving each other is also like spurring me into loving the Lord more. I, I feel like the more, the closer I get to the Lord, the closer I get to Craig. And it's been, it's just been a blessing. It's been really, really a blessing with its challenges, but it's of been course. really a blessing. <laughs> I, I know one thing for me, just to chime in on my end, I think growing up the way I did in a very broken home and a lot of abuse and all that, having someone love you yeah, and just be accepting of you and forgiving of you helps me to see Jesus in a way that I would not have seen if, had I not seen him with skin on. And so, Craig, how have you encountered Christ in a new way because you're a married man, and how has that affected you? The, the way you put it is, is a great way to put it. I, it makes a difference to be able to have that unconditional love, which took me a while to receive. <laughs> Trust again, yeah. yeah, receive again. And family as a whole, I mean, even, you know, having having children and mm-hmm. they don't always understand, but we still love them anyway. And it gives me a perspective on, okay, that's why God is so patient with us. Mm-hmm. He loves us. He just loves us because that's the that's his heart towards us. And because we not because we're so good, we deserve it, but he's he's so good. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So uh, one of the questions I ask my guests is, how has God restoried you? So how has he changed your story? And you can go really far back or you can go back in the past year, but just think of one way God has restoried you. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they're looking at each other like, I don't know. <laughs> the, the Hosea part of the story has always been a... I mean, the Jeremiah and different things that I identified with, but in the marriage also just uh, being part of the global church. I mean, here, here I'm from the West, an unchurched background, converted off the street. Medin is from a first generation Christian family in Africa, and the Lord has brought us together and the, the, just the perspective on how we're part of this time of transition in the global church and uh, the massive growth of the church in, in many parts of the world and our place in that, both learning from it and our opportunities to serve it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I never thought that I will be living in the U.S. and being a part of like a seminary, like Asbury Seminary, sharing, encouraging, you know, all these young people who come, but also just sharing my faith with the students and families and so on. God has taken something. Usually I look at it and say, it's my dad's and mom's ministry flowing uh, through who I am because they loved God with all the passion in their hearts and served him. And I guess it's the same passion that has come to me in a sense, but it's not used in Congo. It's used here. And so he has restored me and taken me from there. Say, okay, you want you won't stay here, but you will be at a new place where I'll use you. I guess. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good answer, and I love also this idea of the global church. And I think most people that don't ever travel, they don't realize that people follow Jesus in other cultures, you know, especially we Americans were all so stuck up and self-centered that we don't (laughs) like, like we own Jesus or something, but it's really lovely to fellowship with people from all over the world and to experience Christ in that way. I had a friend of mine. um, She's an African-American friend and she's awesome. And we went to Montreal together and we did a worship just with the staff of this church plant. It was all in French and she just started weeping she was just so moved by it. And I was so grateful to be a part of that experience with her, just to have that realization that Jesus is absolutely to be trusted and he's real all over the world, no matter where you find yourself. Uh-huh. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So my last question is, um, what kind of advice would you give to, like my daughter is 23 years old. She is not only a fangirl of Dr. Keener here, but she... <laughs> She loves the Lord very much, and she is not married and not dating. So what kind of advice would you give to someone like her who just really loves the Lord? Also would love to see, would love to get married, but in your story, what kind of advice can you give to someone in that situation? Besides prayer, I mean, we know prayer is good. Do you have any wisdom? (laughs) I'm not sure if the way we did it was necessarily the best way. It certainly was a long way. That is a long Uh, way. So, I mean, it's not like ours is is a model or a rubric that everybody should follow. In fact, probably most people shouldn't follow ours. (laughs) But the Lord does it differently with different people. But the biggest thing was we were looking to the Lord, and the Lord is the one who, who arranged it. But we also went through a lot of hard things along the way. And, I mean, each of us was betrayed in, in a previous relationship. 
and those those things are part of reality too. But it doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. He, he does have a plan, and the thing is just just keep looking to Him. We just see the details. We don't see the big picture, but we can we can trust God for the big picture. Mm-hmm. Looking to Him and looking around. <laughs> but but looking around yeah. cautiously i mean yeah, cautiously. yeah the, sure. the one the one thing i knew beyond a shadow of a doubt was my calling and so i knew if i was going to marry somebody it had to be somebody who could live with that calling now i misinterpreted medine's letter but that determination also kept me from getting married to the wrong person and <laughs> keeping me you know, so I was still available when it was time that Medina and I had the mm-hmm. understanding. Yeah, it's true. Well, I love how the faithfulness of God is woven throughout your story and in very tangible ways, not just intangible. God's always been faithful to your heart, but he's also faithful to your story and how it's interwoven. So thank you so much for sharing it. I know people are going to be really, really encouraged and hopefully people will pick up your book as well and just get the details because they're so amazing and so great. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for thank having, you for us. having us. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I pray for those who face impossible situations today, whose stories are, feel too big or too suspenseful or too impossible. Father, I pray for hope. I pray hope would infuse our lives today, that we would wake up every day saying, I am going to live as if you are truly my provider. Instead of fretting about the things that are happening, I pray instead, Lord, I would stand up. We would all just stand up and say, I am a child of the King, and I am going to live as if God is my amazing provider and leader and director. Thank you for this story today of your hand in Craig and Maydeen's life how you so beautifully wove their story, that you rescued both of them from dark places, that you rescued them and brought them together for a beautiful love story, not for their glory, but for yours. And we're just so thankful for that. I pray for those listeners today that are longing for a love story, who are longing to see a happy ending to a tumultuous time. And I pray, Father, that you would bring someone who loves you into their lives, someone who's passionate about you first, that their first love is you. I pray you would provide that. I also lift up those who feel like they are disqualified from ministry, that they can't go on because they had something in their past that just was hard. Lord, I just thank you that you are the God of the resurrection, that you take those who are broken, you take those who are I mean, you took the Apostle Paul who wanted to murder Christians and you made him into a pillar of the church. And so nothing is impossible with you. Help us to shed our insecurity today. Help us to shed what we think is holding us back. Particularly, Lord, I lift up those people today who are battling fear or who are battling just thinking, I will never amount to anything and I cannot be used in the kingdom of God. What a lie that is from the pit of hell. And so I pray, Father, today for boldness. I pray for a greater expanse of faith that we could start to believe you as if you really are God, as if you really can do the impossible instead of thinking it's all up to us to do everything. So Lord, just be near, be close. Thank you that you orchestrate our stories and we might be in the darkness right now, but you always weave them for some greater purpose. And we may not even understand them here on this earth. 
But I have confidence that someday on the other side, we will understand this beautiful tapestry that you've woven for all of us. Thank you for doing that in the Keener's life. And thank you for doing that in my life. And thank you for doing that in my listener's life today as well. I pray these things in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to RestoryShow.com forward slash 15. And may you live a brand new story this week.